We are in a series on the book of Romans. We started last week, so we're in chapter 1. And you know, when you read the book of Romans, and all of Paul's writings for that matter, um, one of the things that you see in Paul is that he has a deep love for the church. He has a deep love for Christian people. There's much affection that he expresses towards fellow Christians throughout his writings. And, you know, when you stop and think about it, there's a lot of privileges that we share as the body of Christ. I mean, just the, the privilege that we shared around the communion table today, that our sins have been forgiven 100%, that we're no longer culpable and held responsible for those. I mean, do we really grasp that sometimes, <laughs> of the setting free that has gone on in our lives? And not only have we been cleansed of our sin and remade, that we've been given the very life of God to live in us, a life that uh, we never thought possible. And one of the provisions that God has made for us is one another. I mean, just look around. Can you believe that you're brothers and sisters with these folks? Wonderful, isn't it? To know that God has placed us in a family where we can be loved and love. One of the amazing things about the scripture that we look at today in the first chapter of Romans is that Paul is expressing deep affection and friendship with the church in Rome, and uh, he's never been there. And probably most, if not all of these people, he's never actually met. And so when you think about that, what does that tell us? What does that teach us about relationships within the body of Christ? It shows that if someone is in Christ, they're family. That they have this common heritage with us, this, this common future with us, that we're going to spend eternity with them, and all Christians are family to us. Did you know that other churches in town are family to us? Amen? That was better than the first service. I like that. Other churches are our family in this community. Aren't you glad that the days of church competition are over? (laughs) That we all just support one another and pray for one another and love one another. Romans, the first chapter, verse 8. I want you to hear the affection that God, that Paul expresses to this church that he's never been to. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Well, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. 
So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You know, he starts by thanking God through Jesus for the church in Rome, and his thanksgiving is based upon this, that uh, the fact of their faith is proclaimed throughout the world. I mean, wouldn't you like to be a part of a church, part of a body, part of a fellowship where people talked about the great faith of your church? A place where people just trusted God. There was a, a, a mountain in front of them, some difficulty, some trial or something, and they just believed that God could handle that. People in their congregation were struggling with health issues or financial issues or relationship problems or whatever, and they just believed God could handle that. And it became the mark on that church that people would talk about the faith that they just had in God, that they just didn't figure that they could fix anything. They trusted God with everything. They kept praying to God. They kept asking God. There was a renowned faith that had been shared here in the church in Rome, and Paul had heard of it. And Paul knew that what they were doing was the same thing he was doing, and they were on the same team producing the same fruit. They had this mutual mission together. They were brothers and sisters in Christ working together for the same ends. And so my first point is this, Christians, all Christians share a mutual mission. Do you believe that today? That we're all sharing this mission of God to proclaim the grace of Jesus Christ into our community. I think the Christian church in America today could learn from the example of Scripture, don't you? <laughs> I mean, uh, we here at Grace Bible Church, we're a part of something way bigger than we are. We realize that, right? There, there's a body of Christ all across this city and all across this state and all around the world that uh, we're a, a portion of and we're on the same team with. We have these partners in ministry. Sometimes when I think of the church today and uh, think about the things that have come to divide the church. And I, I think in this day and age, there's a lot of remedies being put forth in the body of Christ. There's a lot of coming together where there was division. There was a lot of dropping labels and differences in order to come together and unite and see that we're better together than we are divided but I do know that in the history of my life, which is a very brief one, I will add, um, you're kinder than the first service, I tell you. That's wonderful. But I've seen in my time, in my history, I've seen great divisions in the church over some of the silliest kind of things. Have you ever, anybody noticed that? I mean... I've seen Christians at odds with one another talking bad about each other over theological barriers. And usually it's not about the theological barriers that are the big ones. It's usually the theological barriers that are the little ones. Where there's disagreement in the church and there's this propensity to say, I'm right, you're wrong. And to tell people, you ought not go to, you ought not go to that church. You know what they believe. You ought to come to my church because we, we, we have all the right stuff. Let me ask you, does any church have all the right stuff? I've seen people divide over worship style. Aren't you glad we don't fight about music in the church anymore? My word. I mean, I was a minister of music for many years, and you hear all kinds of things. That, that music over there is just 
So shallow. It's not theological. And over here, you got people saying, well, you know, this music speaks to the day and that music over there. Nobody goes. Everybody goes to sleep with that music. And we got all this. This music's right. This music's wrong. This. And we divide. Over preference. Cultural barriers, race, age, classes. So many people in the Christian church, they want to go to church. And what do they want to find at the church? They want to find people like who? Themselves. The same race, the same station in life. The same socioeconomic class. And they divide. Personality. We've, we've even created personality barriers. I want to go where the pastor is a celebrity. And I apologize to all of you here today. <laughs> I want him to be one who's famous. and Everybody reads his books and listens to his sermons. And There's nothing wrong with pastors who are called and gifted communicators and writing books and communicating to that. But when they become larger than life to their people, and people just hope for one moment with something's wrong. And I have to tell you that all of that kind of thinking, all of that kind of divisiveness, all of that kind of drawing lines in sand would be so foreign to the apostle. He wouldn't have context for that. He wouldn't understand how Christians would do such a thing. Because if you were a Christian, you were family. Reminds me of a missionary I once talked to who was working in China. And uh, he was kind of an undercover missionary. You know, the way you do it in China, you go in teaching something else and you... Maybe teach English and you teach, use the Bible as your textbook and you witness to folks. And he, he told me, he says, you know, when you're on the mission field and you're traveling from place to place and you meet somebody else that loves Jesus and is a follower of Christ, the one thing you don't say is this. Well, what denomination are you from? You're just happy to have fellowship. Good Christian Fellowship. And I have a vision that. Uh, I have a vision that one day the Christian church will be like that here in America. We just really don't care about the labels anymore. You're my brother, you're my sister. If you know Jesus, you know the Jesus that I know. We're family. And when the church loves one another, when churches love other churches, the community says, wow. Jesus is real. Jesus is real. You know, verses 9 and 10, Paul says that he prays for the Christians in Rome. You know, at this time of world history, the Roman Empire, Rome was the center of the world. And if the church was strong there, if the church was thriving in Rome, there was potential that that could launch out and just propel the gospel. And Paul knew that. And he wanted to encourage a true gospel in the Roman church. Because he knew the impact it could have. It was far reaching. 
And so he says, I am praying for you. I am really praying for you, church at Rome. Let me ask you, do you think Paul really was praying for him and he was just making him feel good by saying that? Well, let me ask you, do you ever say, I'm praying for you and you never pray for him? We're going to take a vote. Have you ever said, I mean, we say those words as a form of connection, empathy, comfort. The example of Paul here says, I'm praying, I'm really praying for you. He even says, as God is my witness, it's kind of like a vow. It's kind of like before God. God knows. He's watching. He understands. And I'm telling you, he can bear witness to the fact that I pray for you, Christians in Rome, that you would have impact and infiltrate into your culture, the center city of the world, and make a difference. I mean, he prays for these people as if they're family. Because why? They are. They are. This past Wednesday night at our first Wednesday prayer, we just had a wonderful time. We spent some time praying for people in this body who those of us that were there knew were suffering. They might have been in the hospital that day and they were going through some real trials. And so we just joined together and prayed for them. And then we said, does anybody here want us to pray for you? And there were People there that night that says, you know, I'm walking through a struggle right now. And we all got up out of our seats and we gathered around different individuals and we just prayed, prayed for them. Do you think there's power in that? When you gather around in a life group and somebody in your group, you know, has had a tough week, something's happened. And you maybe put a chair in the middle and they sit down and you gather around them and you put your hands on them and you pray for them. Does God honor that? God wants us to pray for one another. And I think sometimes in our world today, we're so timid to have people pray for us. Do you need prayer today? (laughs) I do. I hope you get up on Sunday morning and and say, Lord, help him today. (laughs) I hope you say, Lord, Preach through him today. I don't want to hear him. I want to hear you. I hope you pray for me. I need prayer. And we don't need to be timid about that. You may be here today and you're walking through a struggle. At the end of the service, we have people up here to pray for you. You can just come and say, let's just pray together. Let's agree together that God would do something in the middle of this situation. Paul is saying, I pray for you because I know that without prayer, what happens? There's this power that God wants to release in his body as we pray for one another. So as you read this passage, you see all these kind of terms that Paul uses of being affectionate. Should we be affectionate with one another? Some of you saying, oh no, where's he going? Should we be affectionate with one another? Should we say kind words to each other and tell each other of our love for each other? You know, Paul tells these Christians that I'm longing, and this word longing is a deep desire. I just, my heart just wants to be with you. 
I've never met you, but I hear of your faith and I, I long to share Christ with you together. I want to see you. I've been praying that God would open the door for me, but up to this point, it, hasn't come, it hadn't come to pass, but I continually pray. I just long to be with you, my brothers and sisters. There is this abundant affection Paul has for these people in Rome. And I would say today that Christians share this abundant affection for one another. Followers of Christ ought to be affectionate in our words, in our kindnesses, in our ministry one to another. You might say, well, you know, I just don't have an affectionate personality. I'm just not an affectionate person. Well, I want you to stop and think about what kind of person Paul was. Now, most people would think Paul was your typical type A personality. Let's get it done and let's get it done now. He even said of himself as a Pharisee, was I the worst of the Pharisees or the best? I was the best. I held myself to the highest standard, and guess what I do with others? Held them to the highest standard. But you see, something had happened in his life. He met a Savior on a Damascus road, and he was changed. And Christ filled him with his humility. And even this type A, get it done kind of person that I don't care if you kind of like me even... was expressing the affection and the comfort of Christ through his life. The church, the family of God, is a place where affection and love is to abound. To abound. People are to be valued, affirmed, encouraged. We never sacrifice people on the altar of the program or the organization. We need to know that they matter. Are, are there times in churches where you just got to handle rough, tough things? Are there times like that? There's times where you, you have to work through things, even though people are going to have their feelings affected or they're going to feel differently about it. It's going to be difficult for some people. I just hurt so much when I see this pain because there's not a valuing of people. That we honor them. Yes, we still do what we feel like God is calling us to do. And we walk with them. But at the same time, we never just say, I don't care. We always care. You know, verses 11 and 12. You know, Paul, he makes a statement and then it's almost like he corrects it. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. It's kind of like, I, Paul, have all this stuff for you. And then he quickly says, that is, I mean, <laughs> that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. It's a two-way street is what Paul's telling them. There's a mutual affirmation that we have for one another. 
pastors and people, teachers and students, the apostle and the church. I don't care where we find ourselves on the journey, we need the input and the influence of other Christian believers. We should and ought to share a mutual edification. Christians share mutual edification. I want you to know that I need to receive from you. Many of you respond to me. Many of you will send me an email or say something to me about, even if it's, I want more clarification, or let's talk about that. There's an exchange that goes on that is healthy in the body of Christ. We need this mutual edification and growth together. And you see that in Paul. He's just The humility shines through here. He knows that he's not some kind of religious guru, celebrity, that everybody just ought to worship at his feet. And I got to tell you, if anybody should be a religious celebrity, it ought to be the Apostle Paul. He says, no, I need you. I need what Christ has put in you. It will benefit me. You know, this whole celebrity thing. Has it worked itself into the church? Are there, are, are there Christian celebrities? You know, I see what's going out there in the celebrity world, and I think, you know, it, it's almost like there's a competition to see who can be the most outlandish and do the most wild, crazy thing, because that gets the most coverage. And I, I see that sometimes in the, in the, in the Christian church and People going crazy to just get a glimpse of somebody or a moment with them. And no one, no one has all the truth that doesn't need the edification from others into their own life. And finally, Paul in verse 14 and 15 says this. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The word obligation in that passage is to be indebted. And it's an indebtedness not similar to what you would think about having a debt like you borrowed money from the bank. He didn't borrow anything from these Christians in Rome, but he has been given something on their behalf. It'd be like if you gave me $1,000 to give to somebody else in the church, uh, I'm actually indebted to them because I have their money. They don't even know that I'm indebted to them. And Paul saw the gospel in a similar way. He had been given the good news of saving grace of Jesus Christ in his life, and that put him in debt. In debt to who? Well, he says Greeks and barbarians. So are there any Greeks and barbarians here today? <laughs> yeah. Understanding the uh, context, in, in first century, uh, Greeks were known as the cultured people. The, the lovers of art, the lovers of oratory, they, they just uh, were skilled and uh, craftsmen and they loved to learn and study and they were the cultured people. And who were the barbarians? <laughs> yeah, everybody else. Everybody else. And so Paul says, I'm indebted to who? Both of them. Everybody. 
I'm indebted to everybody. And, you know, sometimes I look at churches and I think, well, they're, they feel like they're just indebted to one or the other. We're indebted to gather as many church people, cultured people, society people, because they get more money. <laughs> and so we're indebted to them. We want to reach them. And if somebody comes in that doesn't fit that mold, well, they just don't feel welcome. I don't know, over here we have churches that say, we don't want any of those kind of people in our church. <laughs> Paul says, who is he indebted to? Everybody. And the love of Christ can bridge any kind of gap that we humans put out there. <laughs> he can. He can bridge any gap. And so we share a mutual obligation. We share a mutual obligation. So you see from the points today that he's talking about a shared life that we live together as Christ followers. So I ask you, how much of a shared life do you have? How, much do you have, how many Christians are walking through your journey with you? Are there Christians walking through your journey with you? Are you in a relationship in a way that you can pray for others and you know that you're being prayed for, that people know what's going on in your life, they know what you're walking through right now. And not only do they know you, they love you. <laughs> and they will lift you up and you know you can go to them and Are you living a shared Christian life? I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. One of the best things you could do for yourself is to pray with other Christians. To not be timid about it. Say, there's something in my heart and my life that I want to share, and I want, I want you to pray with me. I just want you to release the power of God into the situation that I'm walking through right now. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm tired of doing this by myself. I'm tired of living in this, this place of isolation. And Would you pray with me? Pray for me. My encouragement is to let someone in that we may understand what Paul's heart here is, the affection, the affirmation, the mutual edification that the church affirms in our life over and over. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, we know that in the New Testament there are so many passages that refer to the one another's. So many ways you address us as a group. You want us to teach one another, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens. There's this family that you have created with one thing that holds and keeps it together, and that's you. And I pray, Father, for Grace Bible Church right now. I just pray that this would be a place where people are loved, affirmed, valued. 
where they're taught the things of grace and they understand grace because they see grace. It's not something that's just talked about, but it's something that's lived. I pray that the gospel that is the theme of this first chapter of Romans, I pray that the gospel would not be a belief system as much as it is the life that we live. That our lives proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the living God, the power of our life. I pray, Father God, that... uh, I pray for other churches in this community. Oh, I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would so heal those that hurt, that you would inspire those who lead, that the proclamation of the gospel would be clear and uncompromised. And I pray that as we join together in ministry, that there would just be a revival, a renewal, a coming, a turning of the culture to you, Lord Jesus. We pray for it. We will not stop praying for it, Father. Bring us together as we serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Let's, let's stand.